All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Brutal Reality Digest online podcast, more popularly known as Bird Drop. I'm pleased to welcome Mr. Scott Lepp to the show. How's it going, man? Very well. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for thanks for taking my call, Scott. Um, so for the folks at home, we'll just do a quick little background on you. You work for Prairie Dog Film and Television. Is that accurate? That's accurate. I'm currently producing Tribal Season 2, which is a TV series for APTN, the Aboriginal People's Television Network. That's awesome, man. So the, re- the way that I heard about you, I was just browsing Twitter like, like one does when there's not a lot of other things to do. And I came across your, a movie that you were involved with called uh, Ice Blue. And I said, this movie is now on Tubi and it's Alberta made. So, of course, I was intrigued. I like Tubi, so I checked it out and... Yeah, do you want to just tell us a little bit about that project and how you became involved with it? Absolutely. So that is, uh, yeah, I'm the executive producer of that film. That was my first feature film. Uh, I've been working in the industry in Alberta for about 12 years now. I started on Heartland, uh, working on that CBC series. And, uh, you know, that's always been my goal to work on television, to produce TV. So I'm there now with Tribal but at the time, this was probably, I don't know, five, six years ago, I needed to do more to get myself uh, further along in the industry. And so I started looking at feature films because I was approached by some friends of mine, Sandy Summers and Jason Long, to produce this feature film for them. And uh, we got along great. We we worked and worked and worked and worked on the script and on the project and, and got it to a point where we were able to convince tell us actually to come in as the first funder for the project and uh, I was able to attract some more funding uh, from Telefilm and Shaw Rocket Fund and we we went and did the film. We filmed Ice Blue in 2017 in Millerville, Alberta and Okotoks, Alberta and uh, and you know the goal was just to make as good of a film as we could on on a micro budget so we didn't have a lot of money a couple hundred grand Canadian and so that was kind of the goal. And we just, you know, got our team together and we went out and made Ice Blue. And now it's it's out in the world. We were very fortunate to win some festival awards with the film. And then we had a theatrical release across Canada with Landmark Cinemas. And then we had our digital release, um, which is how it ended up landing on Tubi. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was a really, really good looking film. So you guys did a lot. A lot of good stuff with your shoestring budget, as you say. Like the cin- cinematography was was really nice. So, kudos to yeah, that's uh, yeah, no, totally. It's uh, that's Nick Thomas, um, really incredibly talented cinematographer from Alberta, and he kind of fell into our laps right before we went into production. Turned out to be one of those happy accidents that you know the film wouldn't be the same without him. And I know he and Sandy worked together really well. And then we ended up teaming up again on another project shortly after. So it really helped us create that tone and feel for that film, which is probably one of the, one of its biggest strengths. Yeah, totally. So sorry, what uh, Alberta town did you say that was? I never heard of that place before. What's that? What town? Uh, We we filmed in uh, Millerville and Okotoks. Yeah, I'm familiar with Okotoks. uh, Millerville. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Millerville is just west of Okotoks, and it's a very small town uh, in the foothills right before the mountains there. Um, That's actually where Heartland is filmed as well. 
And it just happened that we found another farm out there that worked worked for what we were needing. We, we were really out in the middle of nowhere. We didn't really feel much in the town, but that was the closest town to where we were. Gotcha. Gotcha. So do you mind explaining to the maybe people that aren't super dialed in to the the film industry, like what does an executive producer's day-to-day look like? Like what did you actually do every day? Yeah, well, my biggest job for that film was to find the money to make it. So uh, that's basically the executive producer's job. So I was the one who went out to TELUS and went out to Shaw and went out to Telefilm and, and managed to wrangle all this funding. And of course, there were other little bits and pieces in between. And then we put it all together and made the film. And then, you know, once the funding is in place, then because this is such a low budget indie feature, I put on a lot of hats. That's what happens a lot. So I was all I was the producer, I was the PM, I was the locations manager, I was the accountant. Um, I was a lot of things on the film. So uh, yeah, once we went into production, that's kind of the way it went. I hired everybody, um, and my job essentially became do whatever the heck I could to get Sandy Summers, our director, what she needed to make the best film possible. Uh, we cast the film, we found all the locations. Uh, we worked on the script, all of that kind of creative stuff and, and logistics. We did it all. Oh, wow. So what was the, like, how long did it take to take it from, you know, ground zero to, to the finish line? So we wrote, uh, Ice Blue was written in December, 2013. We, um, we shot it in March, 2017. So it took three years, roughly, just over three years to um, get it ready to go. Then we filmed for about a month, uh, well, 15 days to be exact, and uh, we had it ready about four months later. So in September of 2017, it was ready to go. So, uh, you know, these it, it often takes a long time like this because scripts take a lot of work and a lot of creative effort and then when you're doing it for such low budget usually you don't write a script with the intent of doing it for a couple hundred grand usually you write a script thinking you're going to get millions because that's what we all think is going to happen but when it doesn't happen and the reality is that you have a couple hundred grand then you got to go back and work on the script because if the script is too big you're not going to be able to pull it off so uh that's kind of the yeah that's the the story for that and it took a couple years to get it all together right on so the cast, um, I personally didn't recognize anyone, but that doesn't mean a lot because I'm not super dialed into the Alberta <laughs> movie scene. But like, were these all like working actors or is there any first time people or how did that all work? Yeah, we did have some first timers. That's very typical of a micro budget film. You have to find the best of what you can get in your area because you don't want to have to fly them in. So uh, we, we were very fortunate. We got a lot of really great local talent. Uh, the stars of the film were Michelle Morgan. She is one of the stars of CBC's Heartland. Um, and so I had worked with her on that. And so that was kind of how that came along. The, the guy who plays her husband in the film is Billy McClellan. Billy is amazing and is currently starring in the film Nobody with Bob Odenkirk. Uh, that just came out. Uh, so he's one of the one of the stars of that show. And 
Uh, Charlie Kerr played Christian in the film. He is the lead singer for the band Hotel Mira. And uh, they're amazing people. If they come to Calgary or I think they go to Red Deer sometimes, should really check them out. He's an incredible performer and just a great talent. And um, the star of the film, uh, the lead, Sophia Lachlan Hurt. She's originally from Calgary. Now she's in Vancouver. And uh, she, you know, we just held open auditions. We got like a thousand auditions. And she was, I mean, one of the first ones we watched and we knew she was the one right away. And although she hasn't, you know, struck it huge yet, she's an incredible talent. And I think uh, if she sticks with it, I think she's going to make it. She's, she was in, oh my goodness, Cardinal, which is a Canadian TV series, Romeo section, the Romeo section, another Canadian TV series. And she was in a horror film that I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but she was wonderful and she was perfect for the film. I was going to say there was some, definitely some really good acting. So I was, I was impressed. You never know, like, I don't, because you're in the industry, you know. I'm sure you, people have that preconceived notion, like, Canada, it's Canadian, you know, it's going to be worse, right? But it's nice to, when it exceeds expectations, you know what I mean? Totally. We, and you run across that everywhere, even the TV series that I'm on now. There's always comments on IMDb or, or wherever that, Oh, I can tell it's Canadian by the actors. And what I find is that we're growing out of that. And, um, you know, and I think we were very fortunate to get the cast that we got for Ice Blue. And I still keep in contact with all of them. And um, no, I'm I'm thrilled. Yeah, for sure. So what's your feeling on the overall state of Canadian, like the Canadian film industry? Let's just dial it in even further, like Alberta film industry. How are you feeling about it? Well, the Alberta industry is is having a bit of a revolution right now. It's completely changing because COVID, actually, mm-hmm. um, and the government lifting the restrictions on the tax credit that have held us back for decades. Uh, the combination of that uh, w- with COVID, it's that uh, you, can't, you can't shoot in the U.S. because it was so rampant there, it was unsafe. And so companies were coming here to do films and TV series because it was a great and safe place to do it. Uh, We shot Tribal season two in November through February of this year, uh, 2020 to 2021, right in the heart of it, right when it was at its worst here. And, you know, we got through it. And that's, that's played a huge part in why in the resurgence of the industry. But then the government also, um, like I said, relieved the restrictions on a portion of the tax credit available to filmmakers, and that has helped to attract large budget shows. Uh, for example, HBO's The Last of Us, currently one of the biggest shows in the world, is here uh, shooting that series based on the video game. Oh, well, wow. I know I. I sell beer for a living and I made my way, I think it's to Didsbury and everyone was like, this is where they shoot the, what's that show? Wyona Earp or whatever? Wynona Earp. Wynona. Yes, sir. I never know how to pronounce that because I never hear people say it all out. Wynona. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely, it wasn't one of the Ghostbusters shot kind of right where you live actually? It wasn't kind of by Okotoks? Uh, Ghostbusters went all over the province. Uh, the larger Larger films like that will will jump all over the place. 
so yeah, they were they were all over. I just remember my my Twitter blowing up with Paul Red sightings and people losing their minds. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. So you're you're feeling good. I mean, assuming COVID's gonna get under control here and you can actually go full balls to the wall, you're feeling pretty good about the state of of uh, film in in this country and province. It's never been better in my career here. Uh, now's the time. The, the only issue is that we're ha- it's so busy that we're having trouble finding people to work. It's, uh, you know, and we, we like to advertise now as an industry that if you, if you are struggling to find work, that you need to come and figure out what it is we offer in this industry because there are jobs available and training available. So, um, you know, that right now, that's our biggest need. So things are really going crazy. Um, and Sandy and I have funding to do another feature. Um, so we're, we're doing a feature called Haley Rose uh, this fall. And we'll be going out to Nova Scotia to do a portion of that and, uh, and, and finishing it here in Alberta. So, yeah, things are busy. Things are good. It's, it's so busy that um, it's hard to schedule when to do these other projects. Wow, that's great to hear. I guess let's let's back it up here and talk a little bit about Prairie Dog. So, I guess just your role in that and how you became involved with them. Yeah, uh, Prairie Dog Film and Television is uh, it's a company owned by Ron Scott, and uh, they did Blackstone, the TV series in Edmonton, before moving to Calgary. And then when they came to Calgary, they just needed to expand their team. I was on Heartland at the time, but they uh, contacted me, and uh, and so I came over to work with them uh, for the opportunity to work with Ron and the team here. And um, I started as the associate producer on Tribal Season 1, and then uh, I was promoted to producer for this last season. And so we've just got through shooting it, uh, Tribal Season 2, and right now I'm in post-production on it, so we're just trying to get the edits done, and then we're going to move into the sound here right away. So it's uh, still full steam ahead on that. That's awesome. So I guess back it, backing it up even further, so you're always talking about being a producer. So what is your like? what drew you into the film industry? Like, Did you have aspirations to be on film, or you always knew you were going to be behind the scenes? You want to do writing? Like, What was your, your big idea? You know, I never, I never wanted to act. That's for sure. Uh, I actually, I started out aspiring to be a sports journalist, um, and it just happened that while I was at school, I, I went to school in Lethbridge, and I just kind of discovered a love for filmmaking when I was creating a documentary as part of a school project, and the documentary ended up you know, getting nominated for a bunch of awards and it was airing on television stations in Alberta and I, I totally caught the bug. And and so then I went to, uh, I moved to Vancouver and went to film school there. Uh, but I really didn't know exactly where I would land and what I would do in the industry, I guess. I, I, I really didn't know a lot about it. I didn't even know that there was an industry in Alberta when I moved to Vancouver. So that was how naive I was. Um, you know, I didn't know that like Legends of the Fall and Brokeback Mountain and Open Range and Rat Race and all, all these uh, great movies were done here. And by the time I finished film school, that's when I realized, okay, no, my skill set is best suited to be a producer. Um, and, and, you know, to put it 
if for any viewers who don't know a lot about the film industry, like a producer is just a glorified project manager. We just, you know, we're in charge of everything. Uh, and you just make sure that everything happens on time and on budget essentially. And then of course there are some creative responsibilities as well. Basically you got to be thinking like five steps ahead of everyone else to make sure when it's time to shoot something, they're not going to have any hiccups. That's exactly it. You know, if I've done my job properly in prep for any project, uh, that's when I'm working the most and it should just be, you know, not smooth sailing, but everything should be in place. And now it's just a matter of making sure that everybody's doing their jobs and has what they need to achieve what our expectations of our, our, of them are. So that's awesome. So I guess we could just talk about your influences growing up and like, like what were your favorite movies? Oh, is that a loaded question? That's a good question. No, yeah, because it, it's changed a lot. Like I, I, I didn't, I didn't foresee myself as a filmmaker when I was growing up. So I didn't watch movies and television that way. I guess, uh, you know, growing up, I'd say like Shawshank Redemption. I suppose mm-hmm. was probably my favorite film, um, but I wasn't really going crazy finding them and watching them. And when I went to film school, that's when I discovered Billy Wilder. So like uh, The Apartment and Sunset Boulevard and shows like that. And that, and then, you know, like the the classics are what really drew me in Chinatown and, um, oh my goodness, the Western that I love. Raindrops keep falling on my head. I can't remember the name of the freaking film right now. I apologize, Robert uh, Redford. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, sorry. Uh, Like those are the kinds of, that's what I came to love. But what actually did tilt me over was was television. It was the the new era of TV that was starting um, because of uh, um, companies like HBO. So I became absolutely hooked on like The Sopranos and The Wire and Dexter, which is not HBO, but things like that and you could see that it was changing the landscape and it was changing the way that we were consuming content and that's when I became really interested in it because uh, you know I went to film school and I realized that long form was going to be the future because why wouldn't you want to give people to serve people's addictions essentially people love a character why wouldn't we give them hundreds of hours of that character why give them 90 minutes and say that's it you know, mm-hmm. so it was it was really the HBO stuff that kind of uh, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So are you you're a fan of like the new like let's binge this show culture or do you do you yearn for the not old? really? <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, you know, the way I consume content is I still I don't binge. I might watch a series a lot like all at once in that. I don't watch anything else in between, but it'll be like one episode per night. Um, I really do miss the one per week uh, way. And I, and I love it when shows are, are laid out that way right now. I, and I know you could just watch it like that if you wanted, but yeah. it's just, you know, psych- psychologically for whatever reason, that's just not how we handle that. So um, no, I, I'm definitely old school. I don't typically binge. Uh, I did, uh, one series that I binged was Entourage a long oh, yeah. time ago. I did that um, <laughs> when that first came out. Yeah, I mean, that I loved that show, and 
it had been out for a few seasons before I even heard of it. Imagine that. That doesn't happen anymore, right? Yeah. But uh, it had been out for a while, so I bought all the DVDs and binged it in a weekend. But I don't really do that anymore, um, mostly because I work so much. I don't have enough time to watch as much as I used to. And because, I, like, for example, during a, any given week when we're editing, I'll watch episodes of Tribal, you know, 30 times. So... <laughs> You know, at the end of the day, it's not always, I'm not going home to watch 30 hours on the weekend, you know? Yeah. It's like they say Hulk Hogan probably didn't have a, you know, a King of the Ring match waiting for him when he got home. It's <laughs> enough. For exactly. Someone. That's exactly right. I mean, I still love it and I still watch something every single night. I'm yeah. just not, I'm just not a binger, but I have no issues with it. Uh, you know, I certainly would prefer that anything I do not be released by like by a streamer all at once. Um, and the show tribal of course is APTN, which is a, is a weekly release. Um, so I still, I still like that, but the streamers, you know, they want the subs and so they want people to come and they want to give it to you all at once. And Hey, that's their prerogative. And some people freaking love it. So, yeah. Well, I mean, the Mandalorian kind of switched it up by doing the weekly release, right, on Disney Plus. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that Michael Jordan exactly. show, The Last Dance, or whatever it was, kind of yes. one or two would they do a night. The doc it? there, yeah, which was amazing. But I, yeah, I find you get more, almost get more hype when you do that because people are actually talking about it and excited for the next week. Whereas, well, that's what I think. So if you're looking at traditional linear broadcast, like. CBC and ABTN and CTV, that's why they stick to that um, because that's their model. Their model is still to sell that advertising right. during the show. So they want people to be talking about it for two months or eight weeks, whereas the streamers are like, we want you to subscribe and stay. So we're just, we're going to let you binge it, but we're going to have something new for you for when you're done. So mm-hmm. Um, they want you to become even more addicted than, you know, how I had talked about getting addicted to characters. They want to get you even more addicted to their content. So they, they, uh, they just want it there at all times. Yeah, for sure. And even like on Netflix, you know, it's, it just auto plays the next episode. So you're like, ah, fuck, I'm already into it. (laughs) So keep watching. (laughs) Yeah. I have to turn that off. (laughs) <laughs> I'm I, I'm like I, I have to keep it on so it's uh, I, I still have to manually switch it to the next episode <laughs> just to kind of slow it down well, you know you're in the industry so you probably you're probably interested in seeing who's in the credits like oh there's my buddy <laughs> oh for sure absolutely we, um, you know we we come to appreciate it because so many people work on it and it's like it's one of the only times that they're able to actually get any credit for their the incredible work that people do and um yeah so i do watch them yes <laughs> this just i don't know it's reminding me of this are you i don't know if you enjoy like watching like bad movies like if you're familiar with with neil breen and his work i'm not uh i i don't typically like that no okay I, i'm kind of an oddball that way it's it's uh yeah, so many people are like that. I've seen some bad ones, but I'm not the guy who's like, let's go get a case of beer and uh, and watch a shitty movie. Oh, I apologize for swearing. <laughs> no, you can swear all you want. Um, the reason what just remind me of that is because if you ever watch one of his movies, 
he'll have this huge laundry list of all these different catering companies and all these different companies doing the light and sound and everything. And then at the bottom, it says, yep. at the very end, it says, anything that has an N or a B in the name is actually Neil Breen Productions. So he just puts all these fake names. <laughs> like, uh, that's kind of <laughs> hilarious. But, yeah, he's, he's next level. That's hilarious. Apparently, he's like a very yeah. professional and like treats all of his, well, if you can call them actors, <laughs> the people in his movies which is him and a bunch of other people that I think he found on the street. But apparently he's very professional, so that's that's good to hear. <laughs> well, if he's made a lot, then he probably is because, yeah, people won't come back and work for you if you're not. Well, I, I didn't notice any of the same actors, but <laughs> maybe it's the same crew. I don't know. <laughs> It'd be tough to say because everything's code names in the same credits. But <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, I'm sure this happens more often than... Uh, we hear about, but you, I'm sure you remember the last season of Game of Thrones. Not gonna do spoilers, but you know, it wasn't that popular. But you remember like the Starbucks cup or whatever it was. I do. Yes, it's, I'm sure that happens all the time in like less popular shows. But what was your opinion as someone in the industry when that happened? Like, was it, would that have fallen on you as a producer if that would have happened under your watch? Absolutely, absolutely. Like, uh, I mean. To, I could go on about that for a while. <laughs> you know, on one hand, I'm like, maybe they did it for to create a stir and, and jolt the promotion and have everybody talking about it. But my guess is that the producers and the studio, HBO, would care much more about the show being perfect than there being a cup in it that creates a stir. So I would lean towards it first of all, being a mistake, but I'm shocked that it made it through because the amount of people that had to have seen that episode and then, and then for it to happen again uh, later is astronomical. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of views of that show by uh, uh, many different people. So for it to get that far is quite something. Um, But you never know. Maybe they're watching it on a small screen and instead of a large screen and it's not as prominent because obviously I didn't notice it when I was watching, but, um, but yeah, it's, it it is astronomical how many people it has to go through to make it to the air and how easy it is to remove it. So, you know, we, we, that stuff happens all the time, all the time. You know, I was looking at a shot today from our second episode of this season, and it's a long tracking shot on a dolly. And uh, when the right when the camera lands, it goes to tilt up to the actor, and it goes across a computer screen. And in the computer screen, you can see C stands with tennis balls on them. You can see a net blocking the light, and you can see our other lead actress sitting in the background via the reflection. She's not in the scene right now because her cover we're not shooting her coverage so she's just sitting in the background and you can see it in the reflection well we are obviously going to remove that with with visual effects but um you know we we i we find that stuff we look and we find it and then we fix it so it is it is pretty astronomical from to me for that to have made it on the air but i do think it also speaks to the fact that i believe they were um they typically spent a lot more time on the episodes. I think they had more time and they were very rushed this time because, uh, yeah, 
it was a very rushed timeline, not just in the story, <laughs> but also in real life. <laughs> yeah, I I would like that was probably one of my favorite shows of all time. And then what happened to it, it was <laughs> travesty. Like I, I'm just still bitter about it. I don't know if I can love again. I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sorry to hear that. I was I'm one of the people who only watched it because it was so popular. So I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. Well, it took me the entire first season to even care because I just don't watch that type of content. Right. Um, but I did. It did get me. And then, yeah, I was extremely disappointed as a casual fan with the final season just because, you know, there's so much lead up and then, boom. Well, the show was so, a, was a yeah. slow burn, right? So when something did happen, exactly, and like, then they um shit. <laughs> Yeah, they would take like a full season to travel from yeah. one world to the other world, and then suddenly they're going back and forth, world to world, in in episodes multiple times. And so, yeah, it was. I mean, they had to do what they had to do because you had to get from A to B, and you only had eight episodes left, or six, or seven, or whatever it was. So you yeah. didn't have enough episodes left oh. to to do the kind of storytelling that they had set up. Yeah, I'm wondering if. They just couldn't keep all those actors under contract for that much longer because they, a lot of them have went on to do other things, but not all of them. So some of them. That are is probably... that is a, a, an unfortunate reality of of the business of filmmaking. Absolutely, I I don't know the actual reason, but I bet you that played a part. Yeah, and the showrunners I think wanted to move on to something else, but yeah, it's interesting. It's, yeah. So that's you would you'd see stuff like that on the other side. So it's. <laughs> must be interesting for you just watching anything like it definitely yeah probably. absolutely I, that that stuff is i find it fascinating um yeah we're always looking at the, at that kind of thing and i mean really you're always looking at ways to improve but also uh find interesting things to to talk about and and things that relate to us obviously so yeah, yeah. well even for myself like i I went back to college a few years ago and I ended up taking some like media studies courses and just like the way they teach you to view entertainment, right? You kind of completely changes your, like the way you consume media. It's, it's weird, you know, and it's one thing you always hear is, it is very weird, follow the money, you know, and it's like, Oh, that's why we're getting another Ghostbusters reboot instead of seeing a brand new series, right? Cause people just want to, you know, have that safety net show. They don't want to take a chance on something lose millions of dollars that's right but again it's exactly right and it goes back to giving people what they crave you know it's it's characters that people love why it it actually you know i'm shocked it took this long for them to go back to the content that worked even though i'm not a fan of reboots i i would rather have original content i'm shocked it took this long so um but here we are and money talks exactly. And you do start to watch things differently when, when you're made aware of different things to watch the economics of it or the logistics of, of filming or, or whatever. And sometimes for me, it's, it's hard to turn it off, but you have to, I, I, because if we're going to create content that audiences love, it can't just all be about the economics of it and, and the logistics of it. We have to be able to sometimes sit back and appreciate it the way your audience would so that you can properly serve them. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a, a skill set, so you must have uh, worked hard to get where you're at to figure out how to, how to pull it off. <laughs> 
Well, still figuring it out. Trust me. <laughs> That's awesome, man. We'll, we'll start wrapping it up, but I guess, um, I guess let's just give since you mentioned Tribal is the latest series you're working on. You want to just give a quick rundown, a quick pitch, so tell people that are listening why they should sure. be checking it out. Yeah, Tribal's kind of fun. It's a, it's a police. Uh, pr- well, I wouldn't necessarily call it a police procedural. It started out under that format, but I would call it more of a crime drama. Um, there is a crime of the week, so it's very CSI-like. Uh, the premise is that um, there's an Indigenous chief of police, and she's kind of summoned into the city, and she has to solve Indigenous-related crime within the city. And, of course, it's kind of all done under the guise of of bringing people together and of inclusivity and like the city's kind of putting on an act. So the, then the city cops don't like the tribal cops that, that govern the reserve and the tribal cops and its citizens don't like the city cops. And, um, there's a whole, um, kind of fight that brews throughout. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a fun and unique take on crime drama. And I feel like season one is really great. And I think that we take a step forward on season two. And uh, season one is eight episodes and season two is 10. Um, you can watch it on APTN, which is in Canada. It should be available on whatever uh, broadcast or however you get your cable. Uh, and if not, APTN has an app called Lumi, L-U-M-I. And you can get a free trial there to check it out. And uh, it streams there as well. And yeah, season two should be out this fall. And then we'll start working on season three. Sweet. So you're you're renewed for another year. Well, you know, not officially. <laughs> we feel pretty good, though. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> we're, not, we're not throwing that out there. If everything goes right, it's happening. Exactly. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I guess right before I let you go, do you got any advice for, for people that want to get into the industry? Because as you just stated earlier in this interview, like it's, it's booming. You guys need, you need people in there. So what would you suggest if someone wanted to, to get involved in any way in, in your industry? Well, the, uh, probably the easiest thing to do to start would be just to start following um, some of the industry accounts on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Like uh, the most prominent one, I would say, is Keep Alberta Rolling, which is this great, you know, not-for-profit group that is just kind of promoting our industry, and they're wonderful, and uh, it's a great way to keep on top of what's happening here. And then if you actually are are really interested in working uh, this industry is, is mostly governed by unions, not governed, but uh, employees are um, represented by unions. And uh, those unions, you have to become a member eventually to, to work on these larger scale productions. So we have the Directors Guild of Canada, Alberta Chapter, uh, IATSE 212, IATSE 669, uh, Teamsters Brotherhood Local 362, um, any of them ha- should have a social media presence and they also have websites and you can go to any of them to find out more. And that's the easiest way to start and just start uh, kind of paying attention to it a little bit. Uh, Calgary is, is where everything happens. So that's where you want to be. And that's the easiest way to get started. Awesome, man. Well, that's some great advice. No, I've, uh, I've kind of been the, what do they call it? The, grip or whatever running around running cameras and moving the lights around i've done that on a few like tell a story i've 
projects. It was fun. That's great. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the, those positions are absolutely integral to the creation of film and TV. So, and I think it's a good experience. And honestly, if people just want to check it out, I would uh, look for the background casting calls to be an extra as well, because then you can go hang out on set for a day and and kind of just scope it out from a distance. Uh, there's not a lot of them, but they do exist. And those are usually posted on um, online. And one of those accounts that I mentioned would probably repost it. So. Maybe you can meet Nathan Fillion or some other Canadian star. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> My wife loves him. She got to meet him at Comic-Con and it was like, she looked happier than our wedding pictures. So <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> that's hilarious. It's like the biggest. No, that's great. I, I, I think he's awesome. Yeah. You know, originally from Edmonton. So that's pretty cool. He's yeah. really, really done well for himself. Yeah, absolutely. Bonafide TV star for sure. I I know him from the exactly from the Firefly days and Slither. If you've ever seen that movie, I've not seen Slither. I do know Firefly. I only know of Firefly um, okay. because it was you know has a pretty big following. Yeah. Well, Slither, I can't say for sure, but I want to say there was an Alberta connection, and the reason why is because there's a barn dance at one point, and Corb Lund is the band playing it. So. What? Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Actually, it's like, is that freaking Corblund? <laughs> yeah. So there you go. So maybe look into that. Maybe that was shot in around your neck of the woods. I too. am going to. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time, and I'm really happy to hear that the industry is is booming in Alberta. I know I'm going to be paying a lot closer attention. So, yeah, I will be following your career and hope to see good, great things. Well, I really appreciate that. And I just want to give a very small plug to Ice Blue. Uh, Like you mentioned, it's available on Tubi, but it is also available on Amazon Prime. And you can also get it on iTunes and Google Play. And I love it when people watch it. It's it's great. And we love to get feedback. So... Uh, I'm. Uh, you can find me on social media and and stuff like that, and people reach out to me all the time, and and it's awesome. So, I do encourage people to check it out. I think it's uh, it's a fun movie. It's a bit of a thinker. So, yeah, for sure, man. Actually, I'm, I wanted to ask you about it, but <laughs> I won't spoil it. <laughs> I was a little confused. That's about all the good. End. Anytime. <laughs> yeah, right, so. that happens. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and best of luck in the future. Anytime. Thank you very much. All right, man. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fur Drop. This has been episode 20 with Scott Lepp. Make sure you guys check out the accompanying physical zine. You could either subscribe or mail it right to your house or else you can pick it up at the participating stores in Central Alberta. All right, until next time, this has been Josh Hotta. Stay brutal. Oh, my goodness. 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 Oh, no, I'm thrilled. No, I'm thrilled. No, I'm thrilled. No, I, I'm I'm thrilled. Oh my goodness. 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 Oh my goodness.